This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning. It's Monday, September 13th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. Talking winners and losers coming up in just a second with Carl Reed, college football analyst for 24-7 Sports and head coach at Desmet Jesuit High School in St. Louis. Love talking to Carl. Got an interesting perspective. He helps us make the losses not as bad unless you're a USC fan because that, that loss to Sanford was was not so good. But Carl even you know says for Florida State, which lost to Jacksonville State on Saturday night on a Hail Mary, he says, stay the course. Stay the course. This isn't Bobby Bowden's Seminoles. So we're going to talk about those games. We're going to talk about Oregon, Ohio State, Iowa, Iowa State, Texas, Arkansas. Uh, BYU uh, beats Utah to snap a nine-game losing streak in the Holy War. So much fun college level action. It was a great Saturday, and it's only week two. So enjoy this conversation. All right. The coach, Carl Reed, 24-7 sports college football analyst as well, joins us right now. Carl, uh, I had a blast watching college football Saturday. You know, I was at the Clemson Georgia game week one. When you're at the game, you, you can't really soak in everything else, but it was awesome to watch the chaos develop throughout the day on Saturday. I've got like a tough time though with this Oregon Ohio State game saying I I I guess Oregon's a winner and so is the Pac-12 and then Ohio State's a loser. I don't really know where to start there. I, I feel like we should give a, a ton of love to Oregon and and then sort of touch on the issues ailing Ohio State, but I just I can't believe Oregon they didn't have a receiver with more than two receptions. Their leading receiver was a running back with three catches. It just like I don't know how they did it, but they beat Ohio State. Well, you know what they did is they controlled the line of scrimmage. Um, and Coach Christabel came in to Oregon, and when he came in there, one of the things he said is he was going to have a philosophy similar to Alabama. He went in there, he re- he went heavy on the O-line and the D-line. He went heavy on the bigs and uh, had a dominant running attack and controlled the line of scrimmage, and that was the difference in the ball game. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they kept up. They controlled the line of scrimmage, you're right, without Kayvon Thibodeau. Didn't have Justin Flo either. The Pac-12 hasn't sent a, a team to the playoffs since the 2016 season when, when Washington made it. This feels like the biggest Pac-12 win in quite some time. I think it's – I don't want to make any sweeping conclusions. We've done it in the past where we count – programs and conferences out of the playoff after week two. So I'm not going to go ahead and like start counting teams in because, you know, Oregon got up for the Ohio state game. Well, they get up for every game on their schedule that that remains to be seen, but it was, it was super impressive. CJ Verdell ran for 161 yards and two touchdowns, got himself on the Heisman shortlist. If you're Ohio state, Carl, if you're an Ohio state fan, you love the 484 yards by CJ Stroud. You love that your big three receivers each went over a hundred yards, but you're wondering about this defense because for the second week in a row, they got gashed on the ground. They're susceptible to, you know, giving up the plays on third down. It feels like the Jeff Halfley era, which only lasted one year. It feels like, you know, that's not coming back anytime soon. And I'm sort of shocked that Kerry Coombs, a veteran DC, when he returned to Ohio State, he was, you know, everyone was really excited about it. It just doesn't seem like it's working for them. And, and it, they really have to figure it out because I, I think the Big Ten is going to be a little bit more challenging for them than we thought. 
Well, what you what you had to say if you're an Ohio State fan, if I was talking to Ohio State fans, I would tell everybody to calm down, to calm down. You lost to an Oregon team that is right now looks like they may win the Pac-12. And if Oregon can run the table in the Pac-12, you have to talk about them in the college football playoffs. And so if you can settle down and find a way to fix your defense and and run the Big Ten, then you're going to be in that picture also. But the big thing that you have to do with anything is, is stopping the run. Stopping the run is the key to playing great defense. And uh, Fredell just kind of had his way in, in Oregon's offensive line, which has been really good. Christabel is one of the, the, the best offensive line coaches in the country uh, year in and year out. And he's built this program around that. But if I'm Ohio State, I go back and I band together. You got to make sure when you're in a situation like this um, that you don't start pointing fingers, that you don't start turning on one another. Ohio State has a rich tradition. Coach Day has to get those guys in there and say, you got two choices here. You can either blame one another or you can band together and figure it out and make a run in the Big Ten and then in November you'll see what happens. Do you think Matt Campbell has to have a similar conversation Saturday or this week after Saturday's loss in the Cyhawk Trophy game 27-17 to Iowa. Spencer Petrus, he only threw for 106 yards and he's the winning quarterback on Saturday uh, for the Hawkeyes. The Cyclones even pulled Brock Purdy after three interceptions. Matt Campbell has still never beaten Iowa and they just, they just can't, they just can't play with them, Carl. They just, it, they can play with Oklahoma. They can play with Texas, but they just can't play with Iowa. Well, Iowa's, Iowa's very similar, you know, their line of scrimmage team, you know, and, and Iowa is being able to recruit some great offensive linemen there. Um, they've done a tremendous job. Coach Ferentz uh, has put a premium on controlling the offensive line. I, I don't, I don't know the last number, how many guys they've had drafted up front in the last several years. Uh, maybe we can find that out here shortly, but they've been able to control Iowa state you know, at the line of scrimmage. But Matt Campbell has done a remarkable job turning that program around. I mean, can you think of where Iowa State was mm-hmm. before Matt Campbell was the coach? And you wouldn't yeah. even be talking about this being disappointing. So the things he's done with that program have been remarkable. And he has a defense that's kind of built that 3-2 look that they use, uh, or they call it a 3-3-3 up there. That's built to defend the Big 12 offenses, that wide open attack. But it does leave you a little vulnerable at the line of scrimmage when you're playing teams like Iowa that really just try to press you inside in between the tackles. But Coach Campbell has done a remarkable job. He's one of the tremendous leaders in college football. And I think that probably nobody's better at getting his guys in the locker room, in the meeting room, and getting them all going in the right direction moving forward. That's interesting you say that about the, you know, their yeah, the the defense is it's like great every game, but but this one. And, and maybe even in the opening games when they play those FCS Iowa programs who just give them give them absolute hell. Speaking of, you know, we're going down the it feels like I'm I'm uh loving the losers here, Carl. Texas lost to Arkansas 40 to 21. It wasn't even that close. They just got absolutely destroyed up front. Let's Arkansas like deserves a lot of love. I don't know if you watched that game, but Fayetteville was absolutely hopping. They had 333 yards rushing. Their quarterback, KJ Jefferson, this is another, just like the Iowa quarterback, he only threw for 138 yards and no touchdowns, had an interception, but he ran it really well. Uh, they were talking about you know the Cam Newton comparisons on the ESPN telecast because he wears number one and he's a big quarterback. This is I think this is going to help Arkansas tremendously in recruiting. So I'm I'm happy for them. That's a program that went through a lot with Chad Morris. But on the Texas side, Texas wants all the attention, right? Right, Carl. Like they, they want to go to the SEC or they're going to go to the SEC. They want to be the the number one most talked about team in college football. And then when you lose games like this, you like have to live with the consequences and, and the consequences are you're going to get trolled. You're going to get memed. 
You're going to get crushed uh, on the day after radio talk shows. I don't know what Sarkeesian is going to do at the quarterback position. Um, he waited way too long to pull Hudson card, uh, put Casey Thompson and they play rice next week. But it, you know, going back to the whole culture thing, uh, rather than the X's and O's, like, do you think this was a moment for Sarkeesian to realize, okay, this is not, this is not Alabama. This is not going to be that easy. Like these guys are used to losing football games. Well, I think he knew that all right. And so what the head coach's expectation is based on what the fans expectation is are two different things. Coach Sarkeesian has been around the game a long time. He's been at USC. He's been at Washington. He spent some time with Coach Saban at Alabama. He's been in the NFL. He knows the differences and how far apart Texas and Alabama is. And they hired him because he's the person who should know how to close that gap. All right. In recruiting and schematics across the board. And uh, so I think that he's he's going to get them pointed in the right direction. And he and with time will tell uh, how long that takes. You got to give a lot of credit also to Sam Pittman. Sam Pittman, once again, like we talked about with Coach Christabel early, Sam Pittman is a renowned offensive line coach. Uh, at one point, he was the highest paid O-line coach in the country. Now he's the head coach for the Arkansas Razorbacks. And he's doing a tremendous job recruiting for that position. And they're dominating up front. You would not expect anything less from a Sam Pittman coach football team and so that's a major program win for him and they recruit a lot in the state of Texas um so that's something he can kind of hang his hat on in recruiting great job by Barry Odom former head coach at the mm-hmm. University of Missouri on his defensive staff and Kendall Browse um with the adjustments he's making on offense and the the way he using the he's using the quarterback right now got to give Arkansas a lot of credit as well there were two late night losses that were just kind of crushing Carl USC lost 42 to 28 to Stanford a Stanford team that had looked horrible in week one against Kansas State. I'm, I've been reading the USC message boards on this fine Sunday morning, and it, it might be the beginning of the end for Clay Helton, or you know, more truthfully, that beginning of the end started three years ago. They've been kind of waiting for him to be fired for a while. And, and then Florida State lost at the last second to Jacksonville State, an FCS program on a Hail Mary, six seconds left in the ballgame, didn't play prevent defense. They just were trying to not give up the field goal, and then uh, the receiver got got past two Seminoles. Uh, the Florida State beat reporters over at Knowles 24-7 say it's the worst loss in uh, program history. You're a high school football head coach. You know what it's like to go through the ups and downs of a season. And you're also on the recruiting end of it. Like you talk to these college coaches, you you know you know um, the, the, the selling points and all that stuff. If you're a college football recruit and you're committed to Florida State or you're committed or you're considering Florida State or USC are you thinking twice this this morning or you know are you are you staying the course well I think that you have to take those two programs separately because they're at two different points of their program coach Norville is kind of in the beginning of his run and so he's kind of getting things going after a great run at the University of Memphis and right now guys that I know that are really considering Florida State there's a lot of excitement around the, the program and what he and what he's doing he's also made some key off the field hires in his recruiting department um, with guys like Ryan Bartow and Kenyatta Watson. Um, and so there is some excitement in recruiting around Florida State. When you lose to a, a, a team like Jacksonville State, I think that you have to keep things in perspective. This isn't Bobby Bowden's Florida State anymore. And I know the fans are still looking for that. Uh, even when Jimbo won it, when Jamin Winston was there, he still talked about the disparities um, between Florida State and the SEC schools in terms of facilities and things that Florida State is still fighting. I would like to point out 
um, the remarkable job that Coach John Grass has done at Jacksonville State. He has he has taken them. Uh, he took over for Coach Bill Clark, who's at UAB right now, and he's taken them to a really really premier level at the FCS. I'm surprised that he's still at Jacksonville State and that he has not been hired by FBS program. He's been a winner um, at both the high school level and the college level, and so it's only a matter of time before he gets moved up. But if I'm at, if I'm in Florida State, I'm not panicking. USC is a little different um, because Clay Heldon is on the hot seat a, a little bit. And so you have to figure out long term uh, what you're going to do. But I always do think that um, it's premature after week two because so many things can happen over the course of the season. We don't give, in my opinion, uh, across the college football world, there's not enough respect for David Shaw and what he's done at Stanford um, with the academic restraints, keeping them highly competitive. And sometimes they'll have a loss like against Kansas State and you'll say, well, how did that happen? He makes a change at quarterback. They play Stanford football, big tight ends, big linemen, big backs, running a lot of power, um, being excellent at the way they block and, and the intellectual physicality or brutality, that, <laughs> like they like to call it, that they play with. And if you're not prepared to play Stanford, they can really turn you black and blue. Um, and, and, and I think that most teams that recruit in the Pac-12 are not prepared for the physicality of Stanford. So on any given Saturday, uh, Stanford can put you in an uncomfortable position and beat up on you. David Shaw is one of the finest football coaches in all of football. I'm glad you mentioned the winner aspect of both of those games, Carl. I appreciate that. Uh, BYU ended a nine-game losing streak to Utah in the Holy War. That was a late game, Carl. I, I, I That was... I didn't watch the entire thing, but I, I fell asleep, you know, in the middle of the fourth quarter. The BYU quarterback, Jaron Hall, is the dude. Um, he he uh, almost ran for 100 yards, stepped out of bounds on, on what should have been the long touchdown run, two for three touchdowns over there. Vanderbilt Clark Lee got his first win as a head coach. That was cool to see at, at Colorado State. They were down 14-0, just, just perusing the box scores here. Am I forgetting any, any winners or losers that you well, want to shout out? Well, I mean... Number one, you got to give some love to Vanderbilt because that's a win in the past that they haven't always gotten. They fell down 14-0 in the hole and they were able to rally and come back. I think that's a, a great sign of, of the change in the culture that Coach Lee is, is bringing to the Vanderbilt program. So I just think that that's an awesome win for his program and to get him some momentum because um, you want to get wins like that because winning in the SEC is so hard. Kalani Sataki leading his program to a win over Utah is definitely huge. It's, it's a it's a great second week of college football. I, I do want to I do think from a winner and loser standpoint, we also have to mention um Air Force beating Navy yesterday and and it was reported that right after the game Navy fired longtime offensive coordinator um Ivan Jasper who was there I believe oh. 23 years, 14 is the OC. And so it'll be interesting to see um with them being a flex bone option team you know, some of the changes that they make moving forward and also where Coach Jasper lands because not many people are running that offense for uh, other than that, other than the service academies with Paul Johnson being gone at Georgia Tech. So I'm going to be interested to see where Ivan Jasper lands and what Navy does with their offense moving forward. Yeah, and then the teams that almost were in the loser category, Texas A&M, you know, Haynes King, the starting quarterback, goes down in the first quarter. Uh, he's on the sidelines and, and booting crutches. Zach Calzada was not good most of the game through a game-winning touchdown to beat Colorado and Denver. That was close. I mean, they they the Aggies almost lost that thing. Uh, Notre Dame, they almost lost to Toledo. Jack Cohn uh, dislocated his, his finger, popped it back in, threw a touchdown to Michael Mayer, who, for my money, is the best tight end in football to win the game as well. It feels like it feels like the the parody, Carl, is like there's just so much of it. We might have a great top two, but every game is just 
I mean, it's, it, there's no, there's no easy win out there and it's great. It's, I think this yeah. is what college football needed. Winning is hard. I tell that to people all the time, winning is not easy. And when you see a Notre Dame versus Toledo, you think that it should just be an easy win for Notre Dame. When you see Texas A&M playing Colorado, it's an easy win. But coaches like Brian Kelly and Jimbo Fisher, they, they've been in it long enough and they understand you get out with a win and then you get to the next week, right? And over the course of the season, if they continue to play well and they continue to win football games, nobody will remember, you know, that you had a close game the second mm-hmm. week of the season. And so – Winning games in college football, nothing is tougher, especially when you start talking about recruiting now. You're talking about the transfer portal. The transfer portal has the given college teams the ability to add instant impact players to their roster, and it kind of completely changes the foothold that some of the, the top programs have on the game. And so you still got one or two programs that are standing above everybody else. But for the most part, you're going to see a lot of parity and things even and out here real soon. Yeah, my last note for you, the ACC. It's just bad out there. I don't want to talk playoff because it's still week two, but you know, Miami almost lost to Appalachian State. Uh, we already talked about the Florida State loss. I'm forgetting somebody. NC State went on the road to Mississippi State and just got manhandled. Uh, it's it's uh, Syracuse lost to lost to Rutgers. Not good out there. Uh, week three, though, I mean, they have an opportunity. I mean, Virginia Tech goes to West Virginia. Miami hosts Michigan State. North Carolina, Virginia should be a pretty good game as well. So it's... Uh, you I, again, you know, I, I hate to make any playoff sweeping implications, but like, I guess I will. If you're a Clemson, you're a little bit worried that you could win out and, and your conference won't hold up. It's into the bargain. So just just something to watch. I got a lot of texts about the ACC on Saturday night. Um, so uh, people, 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 Carl, people love talking about uh, my conference is better than yours. Absolutely. I, and and right now, the SEC is is probably still has a stronghold on being the best conference. Now, I know when you when I sit around college football fans and people that I know, they say, well, Alabama carries the conference and everybody else is pretty average. Well, then Georgia turns around and beats Clemson, you know, and, and those are signature wins for the conference. Now, if Clemson wins out from here, I think it's still going to be hard to keep them out of the playoff picture, being mm-hmm. that what they've done in the past and how competitive they've been. And they've been the only program that's been able to compete with Alabama consistently. Um, and so when you start to talk about teams like Miami almost losing to Appalachian State or, or having a rough loss against Alabama year one, you just have to let things settle down and see how the season plays out. But they're going to continue to fight for conference supremacy. And that's a very important conversation as we decide who's going to be in and who's going to be out in the playoffs down the stretch. Carl Reed, we'll let you get back to the film watch and the game planning. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Craig. Good to be here. Appreciate everybody listening to the College Football Daily. Go leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you feel so inclined. Our producer is Lance Glenn. That was Carl Reed. My name is Trey Scott. We'll talk to you on Tuesday for the next edition of the College Football Daily.